Good morning. No one's awake. Good morning. Okay, now we had our coffee. I'm going to start us off in prayer this morning. Heavenly Father, as we come before you, we're here right around Thanksgiving, looking to find out what it means to be full of joy in our life, looking to, to see what it means to be generous, to be loving, to be caring to each other. Lord, we ask that as we dig into your word today and we hear about your son who died sacrificially for each and every one of us, Lord, as we look at this today, open our eyes and our minds to what your word says. Help us to strive to be unified as a church. Help us to, to seek out opportunities to reach others with the gospel of Jesus Christ, meet physical needs, help people that need help. Lord, help us to be a church that's known for being there for people. We say all this in Jesus' name. Amen. My name is John Mueller. I'm the lead pastor here at Sunlight Community Church. Today, we're starting a new series. I'm calling it a short series because it's this week and next week. We're literally doing a two-week series. And after our last series of circles, this is much, much shorter. We are talking about what it means to have a, joy, a generous and a contented life. What does it mean to be full of joy? And we're going to be in the, the book of Philippians this morning. Philippians chapter 2 specifically. And we're going to be looking at some of the verses there that, that show us what Paul's reaction was to the, the sacrifice of Christ and how he was filled with joy. So when we are full of joy, though, here's, here's something. There's, there's happiness and then there's joy. And I look at it like this. Happiness can be taken from you, but joy can't. So if you have, truly have the, what, what people would call the joy of the Lord, it can't be taken from you no matter what happens. Yesterday, I was able to do memorial service for a family member of someone from our church. And one of the things I realized is no matter what happened to this person, they always had joy. They didn't quit. And I think that's what we need to focus on when we talk about joy. And so as we get into the passage today, remember that this is not something that can be taken away from you. It's something that you have if you're following Jesus Christ. And so we, one thing I do need to talk about a little bit is this is our last week of circles. There's some circles meeting this week, and then we're going to restart things up in the spring. But if you're a facilitator, you can continue to meet. I've just realized between Thanksgiving and Christmas, it's a little less sparse than it is. And so we're going to start a new session, start up in the spring. So today what we're going to talk about, I know I, I gave you all that intro, is generosity in action. What does it mean to act on generosity? We, we all forget about being generous when we face trials. It's not the first thing we think of when we're tired, when we're exhausted, when we have an accident happen in our life, when we have health issues, when we have things happen that help us get our focus off of others and onto ourselves. We all forget that we have our life, and that even that is a gift. And so, 
We also forget that the greatest joy you can have is sacrificing something for another person, giving for another person, or, or having that, that opportunity to do something good for another human being. So let, let me give you some perspective. If we're talking about movies, this is a common theme in movies. So I'm going to start with the nerdiest movie that I like. So Star Wars, Darth Vader saves his son Luke Skywalker by defeating the Emperor, right? And so he, sa- he, he dies to save his son. Maybe you're an Avengers person. Iron Man saves the rest of the people and sacrifices his own life for the sake of everyone else. Maybe a little bit, let's go back to the 90s a little bit, Saving Private Ryan. If you watch that movie, I'm telling you the end. It's really depressing. Basically, Tom Hanks, the main character, dies at the last movie, uh, the last battle. <sighs> Titanic. Have we seen Titanic? Leonardo DiCaprio dies in the end. So if you haven't seen it, sorry. I just gave it up. William Wallace, at the end of Braveheart, yells, Freedom! As he's dying as a sacrifice for his people. We all want our lives to be sacrificially generous. And we see these pictures of what that is. But our leaders, we want our leaders to do it. Sometimes we don't want to step in. So our leaders, we want to be sacrificially generous with their lives. And we tend to sit on the sideline watching as they sacrifice their lives. If we're going to follow Jesus and do something called generosity, generosity is going to have to be sacrificial and active. It's not something that we do occasionally. It's something, it becomes who we are as a human being. Paul in his letter to the Philippians gives us a picture of this generosity that Jesus had first, and then he talks about the joy he has as he follows and pursues Jesus in that pursuit. And Jesus specifically is generous. Paul is generous, and we can be too. So I'm going to read Philippians chapter 1, or chapter 3, sorry, chapter th- or chapter 2. Oh, man, All the chapters are messed up today. Chapter 2, chapter 2, 1 through 11. It says, If there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, and being of full accord and of one mind. I'm going to stop for a second. I just want to make a little comment. When he says any... He literally means any, and what he is saying is that if you have any encouragement from Christ, even this little bit, you still can do the second part here. So just remember that. It's not, it's a rhetorical question. It's not, it's an of course. Yes, of course. But then it starts again in verse 3 and says, Do, doing nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to your, his own interests, but to also to the interests of others. Having this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, born in the likeness of men, and, having, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by being coming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord, to glory of God the Father. 
What are our motivations when we follow Jesus? What are we motivated by? When I, when I go out in public, I watch people. And certain people are motivated by certain things, and other people are motivated by other things, right? If you sit in a restaurant, you watch people talking, and how they talk, and how they gesture, and how, how they do things. Or maybe you're one of those people that likes to go to a store, and you sit there because you don't like shopping, and you watch the people. And you see their motivations and what they're doing. And we're all motivated by something. So what are our motivations when we follow Jesus? Paul gives us a very clear list here. Encouragement from Jesus. Who doesn't need encouragement? No one comes to church for me to preach something for you to feel worse about yourself. Isn't that true? We need encouragement from Jesus Christ from his word. Comfort from his love. Participation in the Holy Spirit. Being a part of what the Holy Spirit is doing in the world is a huge deal. And then it says affection and sympathy. Think about it like this. God was merciful. He cares for you. These are things that motivate us. So why, why do our motivations even matter? Why do they even matter? Well, anyone that's watched a child growing up, or maybe you're a teacher, and you see what children do, it's the same with adults. Our motivations matter. We walk into situations with, with certain goals. When I graduated college, I remember hearing what people were going to do after college, and some of them were like, man, I'm just going to make the most money I possibly can. And others were like, man, I'm going to learn the most I possibly can. They went off to get more schooling. Or maybe it was, I just want to survive. Like, I figure if I get a degree, I can get a job, and I'll just survive. Or maybe it was, I want to support my family, because I'm going back to school. There's motivations. Our motivations matter. So if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, your motivations change from what they were. Instead of, and Paul gets into this in a second, instead of creating division, you want to create unity. Instead of fighting things, in the church, you realize, I want to create unity in our mission. When there's mission drift, when we drift from what the mission of the church is, that's when we speak up and we say, wait a second. We're not a church anymore. We're just a social club. No, we're not a church anymore. We're just a school. We're not a church anymore. Fill in the blank. That's what, what it means to have your motivations change, which means that generosity leads to unity. You have to be generous with other people's ideas. To be unified and of one mind, you have to be generous in your thoughts about others. You can't, you can't create divisions in your mind. Oh, no. I, this one person looked at me weird at church, so I'm never going back to church. Well, if that's true, then you wouldn't go back to any restaurant in Angola. Okay? Maybe Hamilton, too. And, you know, I'm just, I'm just joking, but wherever. Oh, I wouldn't ever frequent Meyer because I didn't like the one checkout person, or I didn't. Did. We could go down that rabbit hole forever. That's why we need to overlook minor differences. Because for that one thing that overcomes all differences, why are we here? Because of Jesus Christ. That is who overlook. That is the only reason we overlook differences. Giving the benefit of the doubt. Because, because Jesus encourages us because he loves us. We can't give the benefit of the doubt. And what I mean by that is, is maybe they didn't mean it that way. Maybe it wasn't like what I thought it was like. 
maybe my perspective's wrong. Maybe it's worth more to me to think the best of the other person. If the church is going to be of the same mind, same love, united in one mind, we can only be focused on one thing, and that's Jesus Christ. So when we go and we go do wagon rides and Santa's coming, we do things like that. The reason we're there is because Jesus loved us first. And I can tell you one thing. If, if someone's not following Jesus, they're not in a church. So where are we going to go outside the church? Sunday morning is not our primary avenue of outreach. This is, this is not the way we're going to reach the most people. It's relationships and conversations that you're going to have during the week. And so our, our church has one purpose. And that's the good news of Jesus Christ. There's all other things that fall in line with that. But that's what we're unified under. There's, there's this idea of, of we are a, a building. We are, there's, different, there's different things that people say and metaphors that are used in the Gospels. But specifically, we're united about the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of Jesus Christ. And then Paul continues with this idea, with this idea of unity because it requires more than just unity. Because we can say we're unified, but something I've learned is unity isn't always unity. And what I mean by that is, I've had our, our staff and some of our leadership take a personality test. And in the conflict styles, one of them is avoidance. Unity can be avoidance. We could be a church full of people that are not going to say anything. We're not going to say anything to the pastor because we're, we, we just don't want to raise up conflict. But maybe we have really genuine justified reasons for that conflict and so we can't be a church that's not unified by Jesus Christ if we're not dealing with real things that are going on family 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 business anyone ever have family meetings any no one has family meetings is that okay I'm waiting for raised hands because there's got to be family meeting you have a family meeting and it goes the hell out on the table you talk about it you come to a conclusion and you move on. And that's what the church is supposed to be. We're supposed to be unified by that. So Paul encourages us in verses 3 and 4 that generosity leads to an other's first mentality. Like our life is about others. Humility is looking into the interests of others. It's not what we think of first in a me first world, right? It's, it's, it's me. I'm thinking of me. My biggest struggle on Black Friday is not buying things for myself, Okay? I'm confession, true confessions. Black Friday, I start looking for deals, and I'm like, oh, I want that. Oh, I want that. Oh, but I've got to get a gift for so-and-so. You know, I'm, sorry, I'm trying to give, you know, like, I'm like, oh. According to USA Today, experts say that selfish behavior flares up during times of high anxiety, like summer and like the holidays. Don't we think of those times as sometimes as most relaxing, but, but what happens is, instead of having a generous, content life, what we end up having is uncontented, ungenerous lives, because we're, we're, we're so focused on, we need to do this, we need to do that, my house needs to be decorated, I need a, uh, we're having a party this day, we're doing this, and we end up getting so anxious that we start focusing on just protecting ourselves. The time that we're supposed to be celebrating thankfulness in the birth of Jesus is the time that we struggle the most with an other's first mentality. If, if you don't believe me, think about it like this. Marketing is all based on consuming more. The birth of Jesus and Jesus himself is asking us to give more. 
Is, there's nothing that's more countercultural than humility and an others first mentality. If you're thinking about others first, you're doing the opposite of every television commercial, every YouTube commercial, every commercial you'll ever see, you're doing the opposite. This holiday season, don't forget the reason we give. The reason we pour out everything that we can for others. When giving is an afterthought and consuming at the forefront, the war is lost. We're completely lost. Have you, and these are some things I want you to think about, but do you have a giving budget? Do you ever set aside money? Not for church. I'm not talking about like giving, offering, or tithe or whatever for church. I'm talking about giving to others. Do you ever say, you know, start a low number. $20 a month, I'm going to find a way to give to someone that has need. And I'm going to ask God to help me find that person or that family or those people. Or maybe it's like this. Maybe it's the turning point gifts and you're like, hey, my family is going to take a gift, a whole family from Turning Point, and we're going to give gifts to them, and we're going to decide to do that. Do we, do we set aside to give to others as they have need? There are many opportunities in front of us. You hear a need, you meet a need, but the only way we can do this is if you have margin in your life. Let me explain what that means. There's got to be space, whether time, resources, financial, that you can give to someone else. We have to prepare to be generous. Here, maybe, maybe you're not listening at all to the whole sermon. Listen to this one phrase. We have to actually prepare to be generous. You can't just, oh, I'm going to be generous today. It doesn't happen like that. You have to actually prepare. You have to think about it. It takes me like two months for me and my wife to make a decision about some things. Like you have to prepare. You have to be ready for that. And yet sometimes we don't prepare. So when the opportunity comes, we're not, ready. we're not ready to be generous. We're blessed to be a blessing to others. I've heard that phrase over and over and over. We are blessed to be blessed, a blessing to others. There, if you walked in today and you have a coat, you're better off than probably half the world because people can't afford things like that. And so if you walked in and you, you drove a car you know, most people don't have cars. I, I never think of it that way because I had a car when I was 16. But, but we have things that, that other people don't have. And so generosity, verses 5 through 7 really tells us here what this is. Generosity is led by Jesus. Jesus led by taking the form of a man, serving the others around him. He did something he didn't have to do. Generosity is not a, uh, a command. It's not a mandate. It's something that we do because Jesus did it first for us. It's not because we're like, oh, I have to do this. In fact, he said something that I think is the hardest part of this. He said we need to do this entirely without selfish desire. Entirely without selfish desire. He came down here to earth and gave generously of his time his talents, his life, anything that he had. And the first time we meet Jesus, maybe, maybe you're not a follower of Jesus. The first time you meet Jesus, you realize he's been generous to give you salvation. He's been generous to give you that opportunity to spend eternity with God. He's been giving us new life. He came to this earth to do two things to serve and to save. 
that we can easily remember. Serve and save. He encountered trials of many kinds. He encountered persecution, but he still gave of himself. So my question sometimes is, if you encounter resistance, like resistance from a family member, resistance from a community member, resistance from anybody, resistance from your kids, resistance from people at school, what are you going to do about being generous? Are you going to continue to be generous or stop because I can't take it anymore? And Jesus kept going. He, he followed, we need to follow this example of giving. He lived it out. He lived this out. It is better to give than to receive. You know, when I, when I grew up, we didn't really have a lot. My dad was really sick for a lot of years. My parents had their own business, so it was kind of like just we tried to figure out finances. And I grew up and I got into my 20s and I started realizing that I almost had this mentality of I don't know where my next meal is going to come even though I always had a next meal. And, and what I mean by that is I didn't understand that it was better to give than receive. I didn't understand that. So when I, when I was growing up and we'd invite people over for a meal, my parents would say, FHB, which sounds like it's like an acronym for cursing, okay? So don't judge me. It just meant family hold back. And so when my dad said that, I knew that I was supposed to eat less. But it put in my mind, the reality is that generosity and what Jesus did for us was sacrificial. I might not have a full stomach sometimes when I was a kid. But it was because we were inviting people into our home and saying, yes, Lord, we know that these people need this. Maybe they don't have a meal. It's that important that we're willing to make sacrifices. Which leads me to my next point. Generosity leads sacrificially. Jesus in verse 8 outlines the obedience that we are called to. Maybe it's not death on a cross, but it is definitely death to our selfish desires. Jesus was obedient to the point of death. He literally sacrificed his physical life for us, and if we're living generous lives, we're going to make sacrifices. That's the hardest part of leading like Jesus, following Jesus. Insert whatever word. If you're going to follow Jesus, you're going to have to give sacrificially. Because that's not, he's not about us storing our treasures up here, right? In Matthew, in the Sermon on the Mount, it's not about it's treasures here. It's about storing our treasures up in heaven. Let me give you a few examples. One, Ephesians 5 describes the, the relationship between a husband and a wife and says that the husband is literally to lay his life down for his wife. Husbands, that's hard. I'm not here to tell you it's easy. I'm telling you that that is probably the hardest thing that Jesus has ever called you to do. But guess what? Really, that's the call of every single believer in Jesus Christ. So if you're not married, your job is to lay down your life for other people. Let me, let, let me put it in a different perspective. Parents, don't you make sacrifices for your kids? Don't you make sacrifices? I'm on my fourth kid, okay? And I thought I had it all together. And then we have a newborn, and that doesn't sleep. I'm like, if I was really selfish, I'd say, I don't ever want to have another baby because guess what? I'm never going to sleep again. 
But parents make sacrifices. You make sacrifices because you choose to. Now, some of you are saying, I'm not married. I don't have kids. I don't relate to that. Remember what I said towards the beginning? Us laying down our lives for others is for everyone. It's not for, for one specific person type or relationship. It's for everyone. It's, it's me thinking, in, oh, instead of me first. I'm thinking, like, instead of me first, it's others first. That's the difference. That's the transition. And instead of thinking how we can preserve what we have, we think about how what we can give what we have. If you notice, the older that you get, the more you think about giving because you realize you don't have as much time left. There's whole foundations, the Steuben County Community Foundation. All they do is help people with their money when they're going to die. I mean, that's a big picture thing. They say, hey, how can my legacy be for longer? If your legacy is going to be longer than this life, I'm telling you right now, it's going to be a legacy of generosity and giving. You're going to be more content in your life by seeing the joy on other people's faces as well as you give to them. We're not called, and we have to be careful here, we're not called to neglect ourselves, but we need to seek to sacrifice selfishness for other people's needs. This doesn't mean you leave here and you give away everything you have, every possession you ever had. It means that you see the opportunities and you don't say no because it's going to be a sacrifice. You say yes because it's going to be a sacrifice. I read this week from a guy that many of you know, Dave Ramsey. I love Dave Ramsey. He's interesting. He scares me though. Have you ever seen him speak? He scares me. He's like way too intense. I, you think I'm intense? Dave Ramsey's crazy intense. So we're blessed... He said something to this effect, we're blessed so we can make sacrifices to bring light to a dark world. I remember when I was in seminary, there was a point where I had no money. I literally had no money. Like, I overdrafted because I was like 10 cents over. It was so frustrating. So I had like, I was negative $15.10 until I got paid the next Friday, and it was like Wednesday. And I went out in the dorm, and I was like, anybody got 20 bucks they can give me? Right? And someone put a $20 bill outside the door, and I took it. It was a friend of mine. And I thought, that's what it's like to have nothing. I was like, I'm mooching meals off other people for two days. You know how college is, so it's a mooching meals off for two days. I'm trying to survive, and someone's willing to give. And when you don't have that, that, that difference in how much you have at times, because most of us have lived long enough that we've had a lot, and then we've had a little. Or we've had a little and then we have a lot. And so any way you are, no matter how much you have, no matter how little you have, you have an opportunity to be generous. I think of, I think of the quarterback of the Oakland Raiders who got a contract for $125 million. And he said in college, he tithed based on like a stipend check. He got $700 a month and he tithed $70 of that. When he got $125 million, he tithed 10% of that. I was like, can you move to Angola? What, what's going on? Like, we have to realize that Jesus was obedient to the point of death. Our generosity is obedience to what God has called us to be as people. 
Generosity leads, verses 9 through 11, generosity leads by worshiping Jesus. If we're going to be generous to others, it's because we're thankful for what Jesus has done for us. At the feet of Jesus, every knee is going to bow. Think of the power of that. Don't you want to be on Team Jesus? I know that sounds really cheesy. Team Jesus. That's the team that everyone's going to bow to. At some point in all of eternity, we are all going to bow to Jesus, no matter who you are. He's the name above all other names. He's the most famous person ever. He's the name above every sports star, every political figure. There's no one that matches who he is. His name is more than any man, any woman on this entire planet for all eternity. Everyone's going to confess that, that Jesus is Lord. Those in heaven on earth... Those in heaven and in earth and in hell, everyone is going to confess that. That's a big deal. When it says under earth there, it's literally meaning everybody. Like it's not, it's like everybody. If we're going to worship him, one of our first steps is changing our hearts. And many of us know that it's hard to change a heart. It's hard to make a change. It takes time. We have to think about it. We have, to, we have to actually sit down and actually think, which sometimes is really hard. We don't have a lot of time to think. Sit down and actually think. It's a change of heart from hoarding our resources to giving them. If you've ever watched Hoarders, it's scary. Hoarders is scary. I mean, there are stuff that, like, people haven't used their kitchen in 10 years, and they still have garbage in their kitchen, or they have spots, like it's almost like a kid's fort. It's adults having kids' forts because they fill up the space so much with stuff that they're like crawling through their houses because they've hoarded so much stuff. And, and I keep thinking when I watch one of them that that's because they've had so much pain. Something was taken from them and now they know nothing except for I need to keep what I have because I may never have it again. Let's not live like that. Because Jesus can give us anything in this entire planet. That's why we give it away. We start caring more about giving than receiving because we've been given something greater than anything anyone can give. And that's eternal life. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you have eternal life. That's amazing to spend time with with God. Paul has a response here. You skim down a little bit to verse 17 and 18. Verse 17 and 18 are so powerful. He has a response that I think summarizes what is going to happen when we're called to sacrifice and we follow through on that. It's really hard. I don't think any of us wakes up in the morning and says, you know what, I really want to give away my most prized possessions. We think, man, I've collected these things for 10 years. But sometimes that's what we're called to be, called to do. Starting in verse 17, it says, Even if I am poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and I rejoice with you. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Paul is like, I'm giving everything I can for the sake of the church. And the end result of following Jesus is always going to be sacrifice. So if you walked in today and the Jesus that you've heard about that said, 
well, everything's going to be fine once I follow him. Everything's not going to be fine. I'm not trying to scare you. I'm trying to tell you that we are called to live lives of sacrifice. We're not called to live lives of self-indulgence. We will be generous towards others. We will produce joy and gladness. Not because of trials that we are facing, but despite them. You know what the most powerful thing that I have ever seen in my life is people that are in the hospital that are still thinking about others. That is the most powerful testimony. People that are going through life or death situations and still have other people on their mind because they care that much. There's a guy I want to tell you guys about. His name's Gil Grover. And I don't know if I've ever shared here. I might have shared with the youth years ago. This guy named Gil Grover used to write me a note once a month. He was 89. He was a widower. He lost his wife. He wrote me a note, and I found out that he actually wrote about 350 notes to different teenagers and kids that had gone through the church I grew up in and were off somewhere else in the world. And the note was always scripture and a short encouragement, and he signed it. And he wrote me that note. You know how I found out he passed? Because other people called me before I even missed a note, because everyone cared about this man. And all he did was write notes. And yet it was the most generous thing that I could have ever had. When I'm in seminary, when I'm halfway across the country, away from my family, I get a note from him every month. I had opened it up, looking forward to what I was going to read, even if it was short, because I knew this man cared. He didn't have money. He didn't have much of anything at all. He had health issues. But when he passed, his funeral was huge because he left a legacy. If I'm 89 and I'm writing notes to people that have come through sunlight, I'm going to be super happy because he spent time. He got to the point where he couldn't even write anything but his name. So he would print out and cut out little sayings and things that he wanted to write to us And he would cut them out, he would tape them on there, he would sign his name, and he would have someone else literally fill out the envelope. But he still did it. And you know what I found out? During that time when I was getting notes, he was in and out of the hospital. He still write notes. He didn't give up. He knew that it mattered. That's what we have to realize. Sometimes it's as small as writing a little card to someone to encourage them. Which leads me to kind of what I I want to end with. Generosity produces joy. You could say that joy produces generosity. You could say they kind of both go together. But generosity does produce joy. That's when you know you're worshiping Jesus with your generosity. is because you have joy about it. It's not an obligation. It's something that we do because we want to. Being a person that is being used of God requires personal sacrifice. It requires personal sacrifice. It's simple, but it produces joy. It's something that no one can take away from you. Now, this is a hard question. Do you have joy when you give something away? I'm going to say sometimes. You know, sometimes. I don't know. That's hard. So do you have joy when you give something away? Let's, this holiday season, let's live with an other's first mentality. Let's multiply what we have and what we've done in the past as individuals, as families, as a church, so that 
We can reach those in the community that have greater needs than us. So one of the ways we can do that is through the harvest offering. There's four organizations with tangible needs in our community that we can help with. In your bulletin, there's a list of some specific things that we want to help with. We're not doing all of that, but we want to do as much as we can. The harvest offering this month is going to be divided between those organizations. It might, you know, being generous, it might mean giving your time for an opportunity for others to have some fun. Hey, I'm going to go see Polar Express with my kids and have my kids realize that we're giving gifts to people that don't have a home and have a conversation with my six-year-old and realize that at six, she doesn't even comprehend what it's like to not have a house because we've always had a place to live. What does that mean? That's, that's an opportunity. Maybe it's volunteering to go to the wagon rides or Santa Claus coming to town because guess what? Sometimes that's the most joyful experience for some of the people that are there. I've seen some of the kids and they're looking forward to it all year. They're like, man, I'm so excited to be there. And you get to be a part of something that they're able to do. So, how are you going to follow Jesus this week? How are you going to follow Jesus? Is it going to be with joy? Is it going to be with generosity? So what? Maybe you're sometimes cynical like I am. So what? So there's two things I, I've come down to that I think show us what this means. And it really comes down to these two things. Generosity leads to unity because we have an others first mentality. It leads to unity because we're thinking about others first. You know, there's so many times in situations where I step in and the only reason I step in is because I know that person is going to hurt themselves. It's like when you have little kids and they reach for the burner and you know to like kind of get their hand away as quick as you can. Or you see someone walking up to a cliff and you want to stop them so you put your arm out. It's all kinds of different things. I remember so many times as a child I would go to do something that was really dumb and someone would stop me. Let's be the church that is doing that because we're thinking about others first rather than ourselves. Because when I'm focused on myself, I don't see the people around me. I'm blind to needs. Generosity is led by Jesus sacrificially, leading us to worship him with joy. It's led by Jesus. We walk in the same steps of Jesus and guess what? Your life's not going to be easy, but you're going to have joy. There's so many people out there that have all the resources in the world, but they're completely unhappy. They're completely empty without joy. And we should be a church that is filled with so much joy that when we leave here, when we gather together, when we leave here, we're encouraged for our week. We meet with other believers during the week and we go out and we say, Jesus, help me to be sacrificial today. Maybe that's the first prayer this week that you say. You wake up, you close your eyes. Again, I know you might fall back asleep. That's hard. Close your eyes. You say, Jesus, let me, let me be sacrificial. Let me, let me lead the other people around me even though I don't feel like a leader, but help me do that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray to close now. 
I want to think about that. We're going to be doing communion. Heavenly Father, help us to, to read this passage and see how many opportunities are around us. The people that need it the most, help us to see those needs and meet those needs. Sometimes it's just a conversation. Sometimes it's just saying hi with a smile. Lord, help us to be the people that build relational bridges, that redeem relationships, that sacrifice our desires for the desires of others. God, help us to be more like your son, Jesus Christ. Help us not to forget that sometimes even little notes matter. Sometimes we need to not have as much as we want for the sake of others. Help us to live as if it's better to give than receive. God, unite us as a church for your glory and for your kingdom. We say all this in Jesus' name.